0: Back to NFL Junkie, the official NFL podcast of USA Today Sports. I'm Chris D'Amico, the NFL editor at USA Today, and I'm joined once again by the travel ever traveling Tom Pelicero, one of our national NFL writers at USA Today. Tom is right now in Dallas, getting ready for the owners' meetings. Uh, after watching the Packers Seahawks game this weekend, which we will get back to. Uh, but first we will start with our first coach firing of the year. Black Monday hit early this week. The Rams let Jeff Fisher go. I don't think many people will argue that that was the right move, but more importantly, Tom, this is going to be like a casting call out in Hollywood, isn't it? With offensive coaches trying to get this job.
1: I think there's gonna be a lot of coaches period that are going to try to get this job. When you think about the number of things that, The Rams have going for them, even though programmatically it's obviously been quite a while uh, since they were able to win on any sort of significant scale. They're still a few years away from that new stadium opening, but you've got the L.A. market for one thing, which is, you know, kind of dying for somebody to come in there and make competent football. I think everybody on some level is rooting, even in the NFL. Um, Not other teams, but at the league level, for somebody to come in there and give them a boost. Um, You've got a a $2.6 billion stadium that's going to be opening come 2019, or at least that's the schedule, if they can get their cranes approved and everything to build the thing. Uh, You do have some talent. Aaron Donald uh, leading a pretty good defense uh, offensively. If you're a believer in Jared Goff, uh, you can potentially build around him and Todd Gurley, a couple of young players. There are there are some pieces that are in place here. You know, in LA, it's just it's just a unique kind of a place. Now there might be more of a pressure cooker sort of a uh, setup to this job than other ones, uh, but at the same time, the opportunity there to become a superstar uh, that's going to allure uh, certainly a certain caliber of, uh, of coach.
0: They left it kind of open last night, which you would expect in their little press conference saying that they wouldn't just keep it to a offensive coach. Uh, is everyone's first call going to go to Harbaugh?
1: <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe, but you, you make all sorts of calls that you don't think are going to work. I, I would be really surprised if Jim Harbaugh pulls the plug on his alma mater uh, with everything that went into that. Knowing, you know that he only, you know, really had what four years in San Francisco until that sort of flamed out. He, he's never lasted a long time in places, but it's tough to build in two years. I think that knowing how Harbaugh is wired, there's a different level of responsibility that he might feel toward the University of Michigan that he would not feel toward uh, just some NFL organization. That doesn't hurt to call. Uh, you certainly can give that a shot, and then you get into some of the other names. I mean, I saw the L.A. Times throwing out John Gruden. Well, John Gruden again. You you can call him, but you know how much money it would take to lure John Gruden out of the Monday Night Football booth. His job, uh, you know, the amount of endorsements that he can do, and and everything else I mean you're talking about making him the highest paid coach in the NFL after not being in the league for a decade (laughs) that's
0: that's tough so my last question before we move on to the to the playoffs uh picture is why now was this a I mean I guess the PR pressure does it help in the coaching search at all to to do it now Uh,
1: there's different theories on that. I've heard from executives in the league before. They think that there's value in being able to get a jump start on your coaching search. But every team that thinks it's going to be making a coaching change already gets a jump start on it Well, they don't care whether or not there's a guy in place. I think more than anything, it prevents them from having another three hours of talk about how embarrassing the program is on national TV when they play the Seahawks
0: on Thursday night. Right. This is the first firing I remember on a short week.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's rare. It, it's a different deal. I know Kevin Demoff, uh, the COO, talked about the fact that this is a divisional opponent. So in theory, you already sort of have uh, a shell game plan together. You know them. That It's not an uncommon opponent. Uh, in short weeks, you always do advanced prep anyway. Coaches put together most of the game plan uh, the prior week just to try to get ahead, if not putting it together uh, in the off season, you know, and the Rams have played the Seahawks. You know, of all the struggles the Rams have had, playing the Seahawks has not really been one of them. They've always played them tough. They they turn them into some ugly games. And based on how ugly the Seahawks offense looked in Green Bay last week, uh, we'll see exactly how this uh, shakes out Thursday night.
0: A perfect segue there. That was a great transition graph by you. Uh, let's talk. See, we'll, we'll jump over. The NFC playoff picture, the Seahawks right now still lead the NFC West. They did drop to the number three seed as of right now, behind Detroit. Seahawks have been your pick. Super Bowl, anything you see Sunday leave doubts or just chalk it up to a bad day? And I a think it's Green
1: Bay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's a bad day for the Seahawks against a Packers team that uh, got back to playing the way that they should at Lambeau Field. Aaron Rodgers has always been really tough there. I think there's a lot of positive things happening with Green Bay right now in terms of getting healthy in the secondary, which is a big deal. Uh, In terms of just offensively, Jordy Nelson looks a little bit better. They've got more of a plan at running back. Ty Montgomery's doing a pretty good job with some help from uh, James Starks and Christine Michael back there. That offensive line did a great job. Uh, against the Seahawks pass rush. That was something I know Pete Carroll was frustrated with uh, through the course of that game. It's just, with Seattle, for whatever reason, when they've been on the road this season... It's it's been a little bit ugly. I think they're two four and one away from Seattle. Still haven't lost in their building, um, but they have struggled. And part of that might have something to do with the fact that you got a really young offensive line. And there's a, no tougher position to play uh, on the road in, in loud environments than one where you know you can't hear the snap count. You're on a silent count. You're not firing off the ball the same way. Uh, they just haven't really been able to get anything rolling, especially uh, in the past couple against Tampa Bay and then against the Packers.
0: The Earl Thomas injury that will put him out for the season, I mean, he's kind of the one that makes the defense go from the back. Uh, that'll be tough to overcome, too, for them.
1: Well, it just it changes some things. They try to play their, def- their defense still. I mean, you know what the Seahawks are, are going to be uh from a defensive perspective. They're gonna play a lot of a zone sort of a defense with a, a single high safety. Uh the difference with Earl is he just could cover so much ground. He can get down into the box, he can play sideline to sideline. Now Steven Terrell, the guy they like, and they're asking him to do the, do the same thing. Plus, you know, just being able to read the keys and figure out where the football is going to go. Thomas is one of the most instinctive players they're going to be around. He's one of the toughest players you're going to be around. Uh, In a lot of ways, he's uh, one of the core guys in terms of the, you know, the leaders on that football team. Uh, So, yeah, it it absolutely makes a difference. But, One of the reasons, if you remember back to what I wrote in justifying my Seahawks to win the Super Bowl pick was the fact that they got more depth of talent than anybody else in the NFL, particularly on defense. It does not help you at all to lose Earl Thomas, but you still got Cam Chancellor and Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright. You can still roll pretty deep. Uh, on that side of the ball. And that's why I think that, you know, in the end, we're, we're going to see the Seahawks being right where they always are. And I still think, just, you know, with looking at the Lions, looking at some of their holes, and knowing that Matthew Stafford's playing with a, a dislocated finger on his throwing hand, I, I still think the Seahawks end up getting that number two seed, getting the bye, and avoiding a Dallas team to the NC Championship game. That there are a lot of people within the league that, see, that, that think that Seattle is the worst matchup uh, for the Cowboys.
0: The, and why is that? Because of the way they play defense? Because They're, the-
1: their overall personnel, because they have a disruptive front uh, that can slow down the running game. Uh, that's a big part of it. Because they've got a guy in Russell Wilson who can extend plays and force you to cover on the back end. The Cowboys, uh, especially with their best cornerback, Morris Claiborne, sidelined, are just not that great in the secondary. Really, their talent overall uh, on defense is not excellent. Um you know, the biggest thing you can expose with Seattle is the offensive line. But do the Cowboys really have a defensive line that can expose them? I'd argue not. So all those things, I think, make people point to them to say nothing of the fact that Seattle, of course, is very seasoned, has been in the playoffs year after year. They find ways to get better uh, down the stretch in the season. Um, that, would be, that would be outside of maybe the Giants, I guess you have to say, based on how they played the other night, the toughest matchup that uh, Dallas might face in the, in the postseason.
0: Yeah, the Giants defense uh, pretty much shut down the Cowboys on Sunday, as many people have said. But, boy, Eli Manning is not having a good season. No, No. it's just it's a little – I'm not Is he trying too much to go to Beckham. I mean, if
1: I don't think you can like go to Beckham like enough, like- I don't think you can go there enough, honestly. I, I think you just keep pumping them the ball. Look back to last year when the Giants were you know, they were, I think, they finished as a top five offense. They were the only reason that team was even competitive, and Beckham was getting targeted constantly because he was the only guy that they had. I, I think he's your best, uh, he's obviously your best playmaker. He, he poses the biggest threat of making something happen if you're able to get the football into his hands. And against teams like uh, Dallas, which are going to play a lot of zone defense on early downs, they're going to sit back in too high, uh, You know, your best chance for making a play isn't trying to throw over the top of them. It's trying to get the ball to somebody like Beckham underneath, let him break a tackle and go the distance, which is exactly uh, what you saw the other night. I, I think that it is fair to, to say Eli Manning, you look at the statistics, has not played up to that same level but you know the the other thing to remember and this is something where I caught a bunch of flack for saying that Ben McAdoo at least should be in the conversation for coach of the year I'm not saying I'm voting for him but he, he belongs in the conversation with the 9-4 and team with the challenges uh, some of them self-inflicted that the Giants have had to overcome uh, through the course of the season everybody wants to say well the offense is terrible the offense is bad well number one He's not the offensive coordinator anymore. He's the head coach, which means you're running the entire program. I know he's the play caller, uh, but you're trying to figure out how you're going to win football games. And sometimes you look at the mashups and you figure this is going to be a low-scoring slugfest. The Giants defense has played very well maybe the Giants are a little bit less aggressive in terms of pushing the ball down the field than they were a year ago because they don't have to be because they actually have a lead and they don't run the football well. Uh, They're a team that's not exactly built to protect a lead, put it that way. When Rashad Jennings is your best back, uh, when you have some struggles up front from guys like Eric Flowers, You know, being able to preserve a three point lead is not exactly easy. So you play to the strengths of your football team, which is keep the, you know, play the field position battle, let the defense go to work. And they've done a hell of a
0: job of that. They will be very interesting to watch, uh, given their, especially given their history of coming on as a wild card in the playoffs. Atlanta Falcons keep progressing. Their defense good enough to make a run in January? The NFC is, I mean, we, we can poke holes in every NFC. The NFC is so wide open to me, and I know it usually is, but this year you, you really will be able, whoever, whichever six get in, either one of them is going to be able to win this.
1: I mean, I walk away from last weekend saying the Packers might end up being the most dangerous team in the conference, and they're currently like the nine seed. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even be close to making the playoffs. Um, you know, they'd miss it by a game behind Tampa Bay. They, they still got their work up to, cut out just to get into the postseason field. Uh, but they do have some matchups against the other teams, uh, including uh, the Vikings in week 16, then the Lions in week 17, uh, and the Lions still have to face the Cowboys. So that could end up being the NFC North title tilt uh, January 1st in Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely agree. It's wide open. With regard to the Falcons, I I think that on offense, it it might not matter how how good their defense is. They have to be good enough. You're you're right in that. And losing Trufant, that was a blow to them. I know they think Alford has played pretty well. They've got some other young guys who are developing, but make no mistake about it. That's a team that is going to be a lot more dangerous if they get in by winning their division. Playing, you know, playing a home game—they're uh, not going to catch Dallas, obviously, but playing a home game uh, would be beneficial to them you know, on that fast track. They've got so many weapons; they can spread it out, throw it around. You know, you you flip it and you say, "All right, the uh, Falcons are going to go to you know wherever." Pick pick your team—they're going to go to Seattle. Uh, I think that would be potentially a tough one. Although they did play the Seahawks tough earlier this year, I don't think they had the the cold and the elements to deal with.
0: I don't want to get too much into Dak and Romo. I don't, I think we all would agree that Dak should be the starter now, but how much angst do you think that that's causing in Dallas, the the, come playoff time, the rookie quarterback factor in the playoff time?
1: I don't, I don't really think that there's a lot. Um, not at this stage. Now, if you go out and you lose to Tampa, you lose to Detroit, we might be having a different conversation. I think that it's it's very early. I mean, think about the standard that we're holding Dak Prescott to, where the Cowboys lose a game and the Cowboys have two games where offensively they struggle against teams that you know have the personnel to be able to make things more difficult. I mean, I wrote last week about the sorts of teams that could – Give the Cowboys trouble. And you look at the characteristics of them, the Vikings and the Giants have better defensive personnel than a lot of teams. You need a number one corner to lock down on Des Bryant. You have that with Xavier Rhodes in Minnesota. You have it with uh, Jack Rabbit Jenkins in, in New York. Uh, you need a defensive line that's going to be able to mix it up with that offensive line, at least compete. You're not going to win, but you got to be able to compete so you don't have to you know, sell out and blitz constantly. They had some luck with some blitzes the other night from the Giants. That's not a surprise because that's the way that Steve Spagnuolo plays. Um, but the Giants and the Vikings, those are two of the more solid fronts. That you're going to come across, uh, you know, going forward here. Tampa Bay another team that I think potentially can give them some trouble. Uh, when you have, you know, even one guy in the interior who can, you know, shake things up a little bit. I'm talking Linvale Joseph, Snacks Harrison, Gerald McCoy. Uh, that makes it tougher on a team that wants to run the football, and that puts more on the quarterback's shoulders. Uh, we'll see how Dak is able to respond here. I could see them losing to Tampa Bay. I think that's another team that's a, that is a difficult matchup for them on both sides. Look at the big skill guys that they have on the outside. When you have got a guy like a Mike Evans against some of those smaller, you know, quicker uh, Cowboys cornerbacks, I think that's exactly the sort of a, an offense that maybe can give them a little bit of trouble. Uh, that'll be really interesting. You know, if they lose another game, they lose two games. Do we get into a Peyton Manning sort of a situation? I, I, I don't know that it happens, but you know Jerry Jones himself making comments like I still see Tony Romo leading us to a championship a couple of weeks ago that's yeah. uh, you start saying stuff like that and people start doing the math here about what it would take uh, for that to happen. I don't think it's their plan and you know, frankly, one of the most one of the strangest things is this thing where Jerry says that they would not play Romo. You know, they want to protect him till they need him. Well, what the hell message does that send to anybody you're going to try to trade him to? We're too scared the guy can't play a game without getting hurt that we won't play him uh, in a mop-up situation. That is that is really, really odd. I thought, if anything, you might go out there and showcase that he can not get himself killed. But now you've already uh, planted the seed in people's minds. This guy's even more fragile than everybody thinks.
0: Uh, that will certainly be an interesting, like you said, if they uh, they play Tampa Bay. Oh, that's been flexed to this Sunday night. Uh, in fact, their next two games are uh, on national TV. They're always on national They're TV. Always, uh, oh, national TV loving this. They are loving Cowboys it. TV. Uh, uh switching over to the AFC. I will leave the Patriots alone, just because as long as they have Tom Brady, they will be the team to beat in the AFC. Um, he, uh, I'm sorry, the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody wants to believe in the Chiefs. Poor Andy Reid. Uh, yet they are sit at ten and three, and arguably the best division in in the uh, in the league, uh, the AFC West. Uh, what do you make of the Chiefs?
1: Well, that's, you know, that that perception too, and I agree with you, the AFC West has been over the course of the season the best division. I, I think that they've taken a couple of hits here of late, in part because Denver is just not playing well at all. I think that over and over... Uh, You've seen the teams realize they're not a tough football team in the middle of that defense. For as good as they are at the corners uh, and off the edges rushing the passer, they don't want you to run the football right at them. Uh, Titans went off for, what, 43 carries for 180 yards, something like that the other day. They didn't score a ton of points, but it didn't matter. They got a lead early, and then they protected it. Uh, and the Broncos offense was not able to do enough uh, to match up with it. Uh, you know, the, the Raiders with Derek Carr nursing the finger injury, he was not himself in that game last Thursday. Uh, so that's worth monitoring going forward. And then you have the Chiefs who, you know, we talk about playing team football and complementary football. They are 24th in total yards on offense. They are 27th in total yards allowed on defense. They win the turnover battle week after week after week. Uh, that that's how they have success but when you don't you know have, Big numbers when you're really, I mean, statistically, and you can go almost across the board. Other than forcing turnovers and not turning the football over, there's not a lot of things you look at and say the Chiefs do that really well. They do that better uh, than anybody else in the league. There's there's going to be doubts about them. I think that Andy Reid has done a phenomenal job without Jamal Charles, without Jeremy Macklin, without Justin Houston for a good chunk of the season, um, being able to find ways that you win games as a team, and that's really what it's been. Uh, for Andy Reid in his tenure. I I don't know that they're the most dangerous team if they've got to go on the road to a place like New England. In fact, I think uh, that's a team that would blow them out because basically Bill Belichick would just say, we're not going to throw at Marcus Peters. Don't care who he's covering. He can cover whoever he wants. We're just going to throw the ball anyplace else and make all those other guys cover. And I think that it would be a long day uh, for the Chiefs defense. I could be wrong on that. I I just think that when they play at home, Arrowhead's one of the tougher places to play in the league. If they can get the two-seed, Get a buy, then you get somebody along the lines of who Houston coming in, or you know whatever whatever it might be. Maybe Pittsburgh, the Raiders. <laughs> Pittsburgh might be tougher. Yeah. Um, you know if you're gonna yeah, it could be the Raiders coming back again. Uh, I think that they'd have the opportunity to win that game in their own building. I mean, Reed has to be another one. We talk about coach of the year conversation. I think you've got to put him right in there with everybody else, especially when if if the debate is him versus Jack Del Rio, who a lot of people support for coach of the year. Yeah. Reed swept him. Reed won both games. The Chiefs won both games against the Raiders.
0: The so 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 let's set it up. I, I mean I do think I mean the Chiefs really do have the inside track for that two seed now. Uh, at ten and three and with the tiebreakers over the Raiders with only uh, three games to play. New England will probably end up with the top seed. Who the Steelers If I gave you a choice of sending the Steelers or the Raiders into New England with the best chance to win, you would take Pittsburgh, or would you surprise me?
1: That's a really good question. And because the Raiders have the offensive line that I think would allow them to have a better opportunity to run the football. The Steelers' offensive line's been solid. They've got the best back going in the NFL right now in Le'Veon Bell. I still think that the Steelers' offense as a whole relies more on being able to spread the ball around, get the ball to Antonio Brown, uh, Ladarius Green when he's going. With the Raiders, I think that they can beat you just by you know physically outmanning you. I think that they might be slightly better built for the elements, but they also play in Oakland. I mean, they're not accustomed to it. Roethlisberger's been in those situations, knows what it's like to play with a, a wet, slick ball and all those things. Carr hasn't had that much exposure to it. Uh, I think in part it depends upon how is Carr's health. I mean, think about the fact that right now you got two people who have come up when people are talking about the MVP race and Carr and Stafford playing with injured fingers on their throwing hands. That's a big deal for a quarterback. You can't overlook it. It's not Brett Favre trying to play through a broken thumb and embarrassing himself years ago to, to keep his streak alive, but that's still not fun, and you saw the impact it had on Carr. I'm really interested to see now exactly how much it impacts things uh, with Stafford, because there was a, a very quick rush to say, "Well, he'll he'll be able to play through this. You can do it." Uh, how effective he's going to be, and even just how that finger responds through the course of the week remains to be seen.
0: Uh, they got who do they have this week? I mean, I know they finished they finished tough with Dallas. This is Detroit I'm talking about. Sorry. Um, they I know they finish at Dallas and then against Green Bay. Right that that week seventeen is Green Bay.
1: The Lions are at the Giants on Sunday.
0: Oh, that's right. That's three really tough games, you know? Exactly. They will be very interesting to watch. Ah, Green Bay's going to rise again. Um, Stafford playing with that finger
1: outside in the cold. It's a, you know, there's a lot to chew on even this week for sure.
0: Tampa, we you, you touched on Tampa a little. They match up well with Dallas. You buy into them at all? I'm having trouble buying into Tampa even though – They've won five in a row.
1: Well, they're playing better. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that if I'm taking the team that's dangerous out of that division, it's probably more so Atlanta. Even though Atlanta, I would say, is a less balanced team at this point. Now the Bucks play good football. Take take nothing away from them. I, I think that they do have those the big skill guys outside who create some tough matchups. Doug Martin has. They've tried to you know kind of get him integrated more. I think that they've got a little bit more balance on their offense. That young offensive lines come together fairly well. Uh, defensively, you do have Gerald McCoy and some other playmakers. I mean, I think that they're they're a talented team. I, I I don't look at them as being you know boy you don't want to see them. I mean, if you gave me the option, do you want to play Tampa or Washington or Minnesota or Green Bay in the playoffs? I mean, depending on matchups, again, every every matchup is different. But I, I don't want to see the Packers. I, I think that they'd be a much tougher out just because they've got the quarterback. I, I've been impressed with Jameis Winston. I think that he continues to for a young quarterback. And there, the expectations were so high, having taken him number one. And knowing his pedigree and everybody feeling that he was ready to play immediately, he, he was probably put under more scrutiny than a lot of people. Whereas when Marcus Mariota has a bad throwing day like he did the other day in a win for Tennessee, everyone says, well, he's still developing as a passer. With Winston, we just assume he's, he needs to be a great passer, even though he doesn't, uh, he doesn't pose the run threat that uh, – that Marcus Mariota does. I think that the you know the Bucks are a solid team. Credit to Dirk Cutter and his staff down there. Mike Smith has done an excellent job for that defense, and you might hear his name come up to at least get interviews again this offseason after he. I believe he talked to the Giants and the Dolphins last year. Uh, he was in the mix with the Dol- with the Giants if uh, if they had not decided to promote Ben and Akadu. Uh, I think that they've done a, they've done a pretty good job, but now you've got to be able to uh, finish things out and the schedule's not easy for them like it is uh, for anybody else in that field.
0: Right. Switching back to one more quarterback situation before we let you go. The Dolphins eight and five a relatively. I mean, they, they finish with their three division opponents um, at the jets, at Buffalo, and then against new England and, which in the game that might not mean anything to New England, but they all mean something to Belichick. Uh, Matt Moore, good backup. We... <laughs> we haven't seen him.
1: <laughs> Matt Moore hasn't played. Not, uh, that's, that's you know, it's <laughs> that—that's one of those things. Is and I've been in these situations before. Of you know, calling around on people with some of these quarterbacks that you know might not have played in a while, and it's everyone kind of goes, Yeah, well, I remember this about him, but you know, you haven't seen the guy. Matt Moore hasn't started a game since 2011, <laughs> that's a long time in the NFL. He's five years older, he's still only 32 now. I, I thought he was older than that. Um, but you know, really just hasn't been on the field. He played fine. You could win with him back in 2011, uh, but boy, that's, that's the sort of scenario that when people talk about the short-term aspects of backup quarterbacks, when you keep re-signing Matt Moore and he's made some decent money down there, uh, you're thinking we just need him to get us through a game or two. You're not thinking... Like it, like most people aren't with backup quarterbacks. This is the guy we want to come in and play an entire season if Tannehill gets hurt in the preseason. The the, uh, the Dolphins would have been in the same spot probably as the Vikings had Tannehill been injured when Teddy Bridgewater was injured, which was saying, all right, do we want to sort of punt on this season? Because Matt Moore is not going to be able to play 16 games for us. Uh, if you can go 500 with your backup quarterback, that's pretty good in the NFL. You take that. There are not many Dak Prescotts out there, nor many – Uh, situations that are set up for success by the backup quarterback as the Dallas Cowboys was. Uh, That's a long answer to a short question. I guess that, you know, we just have to see exactly what it looks like. You know what it looks like in the preseason, but different deal actually going out playing 70 snaps for the first time in in a really, really long time. I think that if Moore is playing at his best, what he can do for you is be smart you know, ten years in the league, he's been in different offenses. He knows the scheme inside and out. Just get the ball into your playmakers' hands. Get it to, you know, handing it off to Jay Ajayi and getting the ball to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills, and let those guys do the do the tough work.
0: And get out of the way. <laughs> All right, um, December football, nothing like it. Things are heating up. We uh, the playoff picture changes every week. We thank Tom for stopping in. I believe we have survived some spotty Dallas hotel Wi-Fi. Uh, one quick one before you go. The owners' meetings this week, not much will be voted on until January, but the stadium situation with San Diego and Oakland, will that dominate the conversation this week?
1: Well, there will be some presentations on that uh, Wednesday. That's the primary day. This is a, this is sort of a short meeting uh, it's generally not a huge deal, but obviously, with all the talk about a couple of teams potentially relocating again, uh, that makes this one more significant. The GMs also meet down here, discuss with a bunch of different uh, initiatives and ideas. All the committees present. It's it's fairly low key, but of course, when you're in these settings, you have all the owners in one
0: building. Uh,
1: there's there's bound to be some interesting discussions that take place. Always.
0: All right. Thanks for stopping by. Ah, uh, you can follow Tom's coverage at in usa Today, the newspaper and always at usatoday.com. dot com. We thank you for stopping in and we'll catch you next week.